Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, life coach and certified grief recovery specialist. Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode 39 hierarchy of need. In this episode, we're going to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of need and how it relates to grief and how understanding it can help us to understand our grief and possibly even our next steps. But before we get into all that, I wanted to share more about how grief exists in us. On episode 36, I shared my thoughts on a video that was posted on Facebook where they showed grief as remaining within us indefinitely. And then it just showed that that we grow around the grief. And I shared then in that episode that I have some different thoughts about grief, loss, and sadness. That was in episode 36, New Thoughts. Then more recently, I saw an illustration on an Instagram account. The artist had drawn two bookshelves, and one represented the first day of grief, and the other was labeled day 1,843. The shelf, the bookshelf, represented us. And on day one, the bookshelf had one book on it, one dark, heavy, large book labeled grief, and that's it. The day 1,843 bookshelf, it still had the large and dark, heavy grief book, but there were also other books, a lot of other books and plants and decorations. And the illustration and the description of the illustration was represented, represented kind of the same thing as the previous video that I talked about. The idea was that on day one, the grief completely consumes our life. And that's so true, isn't it? And it's the only thing available to us. But over time, On the second bookshelf, it represented over time, the grief remains as a permanent fixture, but we build around it. All the responses to that post were things like, exactly, so true, that's how I feel. And so I get it. I think, I think that's exactly how it feels for some time. But I also know from my own experience that it doesn't have to be that way forever and ever. And this is what I wrote to the post, and I wanted to share it with you. These are the exact words that I wrote back. I've had some horrible grief experiences. My brother's death by suicide, a divorce, life-altering health issues, and the death of my 10-year-old daughter and my 8-year-old son. But I don't leave grief on my bookshelf. It was definitely a central character on my shelf for some years, but I've given it back to the library from which it came, and I've replaced it with tremendous love and gratitude for the people I've lost, and some occasional sadness and a permanent presence of life experiences. The losses have become a part of my history and my experience, but I don't have to lug grief around with me forever and ever. For a time, it felt like the grief would be a resident of my being forever, but by God's grace, it has lifted and dissipated with patience and work. Their response to me was, of course, that everyone's experience is different. And I agree. One woman responded to my, to my response to my post with, what a lovely transformation from grief to love you have shared. And here's my point. 
this is available to everyone. I don't think I would be so compelled to share my story, to share my experiences and what I've learned if I didn't totally and a hundred percent believe that love was available to everyone and that we can feel love for those we've lost without being consumed by grief. Eventually, that does not happen overnight. That illustration of the grief book on an empty shelf on day one was instructive and, and enlightening and so, so true. So true. That's exactly how I felt. And if we keep sharing the message that grief is eternal, that it never goes away, we will not look for an alternative. We will not wait. We will not watch. We won't work toward recovery and healing. The very first step, the very first step of healing is believing it's possible. But here's the warning. If you are in the early days of your grief, transforming from grief to love may not feel possible. And that's a hundred percent okay. And to be expected, grief is normal. Grief is natural. It's painful. But if we, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, entertain the idea that healing is possible, then you can start looking for the support you need to heal. It might be next year. It might be five years from now, but it is totally possible to heal and recover from grief. Again, if you're wondering about my, my thoughts on grief and loss and pain and, and sadness and how all those things go together, episode 36, I go into it just a little bit more, but I, I always just want to share with you that I just don't believe that we have to build our life around grief. If we build our life around grief, we are leaving this painful, difficult, unpleasant feeling stuck inside of us. And that creates a hole and a darkness that we just don't have to go through the rest of our life with. It is part of our life. It is part of what we experience. It is completely normal. It's completely natural. But to expect not to heal, to expect that we're just going to have an, an eternal scab over it, I just, I just don't feel like that's the right way to look at it, just from my own experience and from watching other people who have healed from their losses and their grief experiences. So let's talk about Dr. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need. Say that five times fast. Hierarchy of need. The hierarchy of need is what motivates our behavior. And when you see the illustration of this hierarchy of need, it's illustrated as a pyramid. And we're going to talk about why that is the case. Why is it? Why is it illustrated as a pyramid? That base tier, the very base of the pyramid is our physical need, the food, water, sleep, all those things that physically we need to survive. The next tier of need is safety and security, followed by love and belonging. Love and belonging are intimate relationships with others, including family and friends. And then the fourth tier is is our need for esteem, our feeling of accomplishment. And the very top, at the top, is self-actualization, fulfilling our potential and experiencing creativity. There are some other versions of this, but this is the basic version that Dr. Maslow presented. And if you remember, this, this pyramid of needs is all about what motivates our behavior. The bottom two tiers are physical needs and 
physical needs and safety. Those are our basic needs. We need to breathe, eat, sleep, and drink, and we need to be safe. If you can't breathe, your only motivation is to breathe. If you're hungry, you're motivated to eat. For example, you don't see people in in hospitals, patients in hospitals who are dealing with basic life needs creating beyond their capacity to take care to to take care of those basic physical needs. That is their motivation. Their motivation is to take care of themselves physically and to get well so that they can meet those requirements for life. The next two tiers, love and belonging and esteem are psychological needs. So we start with the physical needs, and then we go to the psychological needs. Once our basic physical needs are met, once we have the, the food and the and water and we can breathe and we can sleep and we have a place to sleep and we feel safe, once we have those basic physical needs met, we want to connect with other people. That becomes our motivation. We want to connect with, with family. We want to connect with friends. We want to be a part of a group. And then we are motivated to achieve, to work, to accomplish something. We may even have a desire to excel. And that's all part of the psychological need, the need for love and belonging and esteem. And then the top tier is self-actualization. That is our self-fulfillment need. It's doing what you, it's doing those things that you you feel you are meant to do. There's a reason that it's diagrammed as a pyramid. The base is wide, and that's significant. If you tear down, you think about any building, think about any building. If you tear down the foundation or the first floor, it all goes toppling down. Anything above that goes toppling down. And if you tear down any of these levels in this pyramid, you tear down everything above it. So let's look at how loss and grief affect these needs. Grief almost affects all of our needs. Looking from the bottom tier up, again, if we look at that basic need for food, water, and shelter, even grief can even chip away at that, especially if we have sustained a financial or economic loss. And sometimes a financial and economic loss can be a secondary loss to a primary loss. More often, our losses, though, affect our safety and security. When something terrible has happened, when something devastating happens, we lose our sense of predictability of life. And if even if we are safe in the moment, we can feel that we aren't. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you can be sitting in your house, on your couch, comfortable, with no threat in sight, and still feel unsafe because of something that's happened before. That's what happens with PTSD. I was no longer driving the car that rolled. I was not in a rolling car, but my mind and body reacted as if it were over and over, as if I was still in that car rolling. My reality was hacked by my traumatized brain. And even if you're not experiencing PTSD specifically, loss and grief can still make you feel that you're unsafe even if you're sitting comfortably in your house with no imminent threat. If we're still feeling insecure and unsafe, we first must reestablish. We first have to reestablish our feelings of safety before we can build the layers above. Safety comes first. This is one of the reasons meditation can be so effective. It's because it increases our mindfulness and our ability to live in the moment. 
when we can quiet our mind and our body, we can experience safety. We can feel the safety of, of doing that. Another important step that can be taken to create safety is declarations. And I've talked about declarations a lot of times. Sometimes they're referred to as affirmations, but these are statements that we rehearse, which gives our brain directions. It's very powerful. It seems so simple, but don't underestimate this practice. If you're familiar with Louise Hay, she wrote, you can heal your life. This was so much of what she did was she taught people declarations. She taught people affirmations, things to say to redirect their brain to create what they wanted instead of, instead of thinking over and over and over again about the things that they didn't want. Keep it simple. If you are feeling insecure or unsafe, but with thought, like when you think about it, you can recognize that the throat, the threat is no longer valid. You can recognize that you're safe in your, in your mind. Then create a sentence that will help you to retrain your brain or your unconscious mind, your emotional mind that you're safe and simply rehearsing a statement like, I am safe. I am secure. All life loves and supports me. Rehearsing that, writing that down, saying it multiple times a day, thinking of that statement can help you to, it it helps us to retrain our brain, what to think about. You know, brain, this is what we're going to think now. We are safe. We are secure. We are supported. Moving to the next segment, after we feel safe, then we have a desire. We have a motivation to belong. It's all about love and affection and family and friends and social groups. But when we feel unsafe, it's very difficult to feel love and belonging. It's almost impossible in that state to share affection with others and to engage socially. And many who experience loss and grief struggle to be social. Maybe you felt that way too. I know I did. To be around other people and to connect like we did in the past can seem foreign and unusual and just, you know, not very comfortable. Maybe, maybe recognizing that the foundation has been damaged will help us to understand why this is happening. If we're not feeling like we can re-engage socially, it might be because we are still feeling unsafe. So creating safety and security would be your first priority. Of course, like we talked about, I think that was last week, connection and belonging are super important to our well-being. So anything that we can do to connect is super valuable. And that may be that at first, we certainly, I know I didn't, we certainly don't feel like initiating the contact with others. We don't feel like we're not the ones that go out and form the groups. We're not the ones maybe to to reach out to someone and say, hey, let's go to lunch. We're not necessarily the ones, you know, planning a, a get together, but just being willing, just being willing to accept the outreach of others can be incredibly important. So just our willingness to accept the invitations of others super important. Once we're feeling somewhat safe, we can get involved. We can get more involved with family and friends. We can join groups and interact with others. Isn't interacting with others isn't as painful and it can be exciting and immensely fulfilling. Another thing that really helped me and, and I talk about it in some of the things that helped me in my first couple uh, episodes two and three was I had joined a tennis team 
like two months, two months before, before the kids died and getting back out there and playing again with that team. I think it took me about two or three months to get back out there. A lot of that had to do with my physical injuries as well. But even emotionally, it was, it was, it was hard at first. It, it, it really was, but I'm grateful that I did that. I'm, I'm super grateful that I did that because I really do feel like that was really important to my healing. Once we're able to engage socially, we look to accomplishment. We're motivated to start to accomplish and to find esteem. You know, thinking about what, what makes us special? What are our talents and interests? And of course, the last tier is self-actualization. Now we, we always have to remember that we're complex creatures. It's not quite as linear as it appears here, but hopefully this insight, I mean, I feel like this insight will, will help you to see what foundation you need to secure and the importance, then the importance of rebuilding and meeting our basic needs of reestablishing safety and security of creating connection and belonging and of esteem and accomplishment. A couple of years after my children died, I was asked to lead a church youth group and I accepted the assignment and I was struggling. I was really struggling, but I did the best I could and I put on a brave face and I went to work and I was glad that I did it. It really did again, create some connection for me. And I had a couple other ladies that were serving in the youth leadership with me. And I remember, I remember sharing my struggles with one of them. And I said, I said to her, I don't want to be leading. I just want to sneak in and sit on the back row quietly. And that is exactly how I felt. I did not want to be in front. I did not want the responsibility. And she said to me, but that's not who you are. And I felt the truth in her statement. I knew that wasn't who I was, but it was who I was currently. It was currently how I was showing up because I was hurting but the hurting didn't have to be forever. The real me wanted to show up. The real me didn't want to be sitting on the back row. And ultimately doing that work helped me to heal. It helped me to find myself again in the hurt and the pain. It helped me to stay engaged and to feel like I was contributing in some small way. So now I'm so grateful. And I was grateful for what she said to me for reminding me again of who I was, even when I just wanted to to slink away, even when I wanted to just kind of disappear. So maybe knowing the hierarchy of need can help us to recognize what's going on. When I didn't feel safe, it was harder for me to re-engage at, at any level. But knowing knowing these needs can help us recognize our own need to re-engage, to belong, and to connect. Want more connection? Just a reminder that we do have a Facebook page, Build a Life After Loss. We also have a group specifically for mothers who have lost children at Build a Life After Loss of a Child. That's on Facebook. And you can join our email list at buildalifeafterloss.com. As a grief and transformation coach, I offer the support you need to start healing or to start the transformation process from existing to thriving. Remember to email me at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com and we'll schedule a time to talk. It's free to you and it will help you answer where you are now and where you want to go to start your journey toward love 
and thriving. Don't forget, I believe in you. Love you. Bye.